finally this week, it seems, after a long last, it's been so long, but finally, our suffering is ending this week. For day after day, month after month, it seems, it has just been oppressively hot, hasn't it? And I'm, I'm really quite surprised at the amount of joy that I still saw from many of you. For, for the rest of us, it just was a beatdown, and we just, we just thought it would never end. This suffering would never end, and the, the sad thing is, it's, it's good, it's finally ending, but the sad thing is that for many of us, we're just trading one form of suffering for another, because tonight the Cowboys kick off. And, you know, just yesterday, my, my son, who, you know, I'm trying to raise them, right? And, and so now they like the Cowboys. And they said, last night, they said, you know, Dad, is this year the year you think they're going to win? And I said, I mean, win what? What do you think? They've had, you know, they won some games last year. No, I, well, is this the year they're going to win the Super Bowl? And I said, no, no, it's not. <laughs> so you might as well just get comfortable with that fact right now. I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Cale, one of the ministers here. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us today, especially if you're one of our guests, if you're new with us. We're so glad that you have been here to worship with us. You know, this is, we are a church family, and that's how we walked in here as this morning. We're not a perfect family by any stretch because we identify, we know that everyone that walked in here today is a sinner, every single one of us. Now, most of us can add to that identity that we are a redeemed person in Christ. But we walk in here as sinner. We're, we're human. We are a church family. That means we don't get it all right all the time. But we are you know, trying to take some steps forward, trying to be better at whatever it means to be a church family. And so we hope that you will join us in that endeavor. We, we know that there are lots of places to find community. We know that you need community. But I, but I promise you, whether it's this church family or another like it, you will not find better community than in the context of a church family. That you need other people around you as you navigate life, as you try to, to live as best as you can. So we hope that you'll find a community here or in a church family like this one, if you're looking for that. Um, as we think about what it means to be a church family, there's lots of things that you need. And one of those is forgiveness. And so today we're going to talk, today and next week, we're going to talk about uh, what it looks like as a disciple of Christ to be a forgiving person. We know that if we're going to be a, a good church family, whatever that means, if we're going to be a good church family, we need to be a forgiving people. You need to be a forgiving person. And so we're going to look at forgiveness out of Matthew chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 5. This is part of what we, of Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' masterpiece. If there's one place, if someone had never heard of Jesus before, and if that's you today, I mean, I'm excited to introduce you to him. If you've never heard the name Jesus before, I would invite you to read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's Jesus' teaching. That's all it is for three chapters. And in that, he lays out what it looks like to be a kingdom person. What his kingdom will look like. Because that's, that's what he's laying out. That's what he's inviting you to, to his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. There's two things that, that you need to know before we read out of Matthew chapter 5. That he is laying out, again, what it looks like to be part of the kingdom. And to have a kingdom, you need two things. The first is this in the kingdom. Kingdoms have kings. 
by very definition. They also have people. And as we read this today, I would invite you to remember which one of those you are. That there is a king, and you are not it. But you are the people. Jesus starts this, it's not on the screen, but Jesus starts this in verse 17. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, for a good Jewish person, the ultimate authority came from the law, from the Torah, from Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of our Old Testament. That is the ultimate authority. That's what it looks like to follow God. And he said, I'm not coming to abolish this, but to fulfill it. And in some ways, deepen it and to reveal what it actually looked like. Because the part that we're going to teach from today starts one of Jesus's six antithesis sayings. Those sayings where he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Because if you're hearing this for the first time, you might think, well, hold on a minute. The Torah, the law, that's the ultimate authority. Are you changing this teaching? Are you, are you doing away with this teaching? And remember, he says, no, I'm not, I'm not doing away with it. I'm fulfilling it. I'm deepening it. I'm in some ways getting to the root of the matter. And that's how we need to hear his teaching today because he's also showing us that all authority is changing. Because again, the, it was Moses and his teaching, the, the law that had the authority, and Jesus is saying, not anymore. Now I am the authority. And again, he's not doing away with the teaching, but he's, he's getting to the heart of the matter. He's trying to show what God always intended. So as we read this today, we would ask ourselves, what does this mean for us as members of his kingdom? What does life look like in the kingdom based on his teaching? More specifically, how do disciples, how do members of that kingdom, how do the people treat one another? That's what he's trying to get at. How will you treat one another as members of my kingdom? So let's start in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I have two little brothers. And growing up, we were like normal brothers. And we had a good time together, and we also fought together. And in fact, I would say, those are just two sides of the same coin. You can go from one to the other quite quickly. There were days that we would be playing together outside and, and the hours just went by and you didn't even know it before mom said it's time to come in. You know those days. How, man, those hours, the whole afternoon is just gone. And then, you know, one saying later, one little thing, and now it's, now you're mortal enemies. You're having a great time, but now it's, you know, you're at each other's throats. And, and I would say for brothers, there's pretty much no in between. Best friends or enemies. That's it. There's nothing in between there. I was the older brother, and so, you know, I kind of got my way with certain things. I, I recognized that. But there was one thing I would never do. I would, sure, I would put my brothers down. I was probably mean in some ways. I might have even used name-calling at times. But I never, ever, ever called one of my brothers a fool. Because I read the Bible. <laughs> and you could use things that, in my mind, thought, I think this probably sounds worse. But all I know is that Jesus says, don't call them a fool. So I did not ever do that. You might could read this as, as if it's the word airhead, 
something like that. But you know, what Jesus is trying to do here is trying to get to the heart of the matter. He's probably not so much concerned with the actual word you use, but more so how you treat your brother or sister. I think this teaching has a lot of ramifications for how we treat others outside these walls, but Jesus, I think, wants it to start here. Because the language he uses in this teaching is brother and sister. See, in the Old Testament, if you were to go to these passages that he's pulling from, if you go to the book of Leviticus, let's say, and you were to read about when something is done to you, there's always a, a repercussion. There is a way to make amends for it. There are justifiable ways of, of getting even, so to speak. There are even sometimes, in the cases of killing, that is justified. For instance, let's imagine the king of Israel, of Israel sends you off to war. That's not on you, that's on the king that sent you off. So there are times that you can feel justified in your actions. And, I, and Jesus is saying here is, there's no difference between feeling justified in it and not, even when it comes to your anger. See, I know that a lot of times you and I probably feel justified in our anger. But there are times in our life that people have wronged us, have done something to us, have stabbed us in the back, have cut us off in traffic, and we feel like we can be justified in this anger. That the way I feel is righteous, even. I am allowed to act like this. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter why you feel what you feel, but you, there is no justification in this. And Jesus, again, is trying to get to the, to the heart of the matter. He's, he's talking about how you and I might relate to one another. See, there's a teaching against murder, and that's there. And we should not be there. But he's saying, you know what? If you, if you don't even have anger towards one another, then murder's not going to be a problem. Because, see, Jesus is saying, a lot of times what we talk about are, are the fruit we're looking at the end result of a, of a bunch of actions. And Jesus is saying, what's at the root of that? What led to the fruit of murder? Well, oftentimes it's anger. It's oftentimes these, these small moments that became something big. And God's people are not to be angry with one another, are not to hold on to that. In fact, he's going to go on to say they should settle matters quickly. He's, he's not suggesting you don't get to feel whatever happened. He's saying, what will you do with it? Once you do feel that way, you have to do something with your anger. When somebody wrongs you, you, you have to resolve those things. And I know that you have had this experience before. There are people in your life that you probably were closer to at one point or another. And I'm not saying because they moved away or you took a new job or anything like that, but there are times that someone does something that in the moment feels small. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe it did make you angry. But when you did not resolve it, over time it became something big. And so we've had that experience before. And he's saying again, what is life going to be like in the kingdom? How are we going to relate to one another? When these moments come, how will you handle them? What will you do with that moment? Will you resolve it? Will you seek out reconciliation and forgiveness? Because I'll tell you, church, it takes a certain kind of humility to go to someone when you've wronged them or you've been wronged by them and ask for that forgiveness and offer forgiveness. And he's saying that that is what life will be like in my kingdom. That there are going to be times that hurt happens, but we resolve it. We seek out reconciliation. And, and what lengths should you go to to do that? 
Should you wait until they come to you? How much should you be willing to sacrifice for that? He'll answer that as well. Verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So it's pretty routine at this point, but if we ever go on a road trip, we almost always will have forgotten something. And it's not my fault. My parents did the same thing. It's genetic, okay? It's their fault or my grandparents' fault. I don't know. But every time we get in the car to go on a road trip, the first five or ten minutes, I'm just you know, going through the list of things that I need personally. I'm not going through my kids' thing. That's on them. They have to remember their own stuff. But I'm going through my list and they're, you know, just what do I need for this trip? And so much so that I've kind of developed an algorithm, a, an equation, if you will, of whether or not we turn around and go back for the item. Because at some point, you'll remember, right? At some point, you'll go, oh, I wanted to bring that. And so here's the deal. If you are further away from your house in terms of minutes, then it will take to, then the value of the item, then you, go, then you don't go back for it, okay? So let me just give you an example. If, if we are 30 minutes down the road, and I realize I've left an item that's worth $25 at the house, and, you know, I'm going to go, well, i got to go back 30 minutes, get the thing, turn around. I'm like, I've been, it's like 70 minutes to write back at this point. It's only worth 20 bucks. So I'm not going back. I'll just buy it again, you know? That's when you hop on Amazon or maybe there's a Target coming up or a Walmart. You, you don't turn around for that item. You don't go to great lengths for it. Another time this, this happened, I remember, I think it was a family funeral in Oklahoma. And, you know, we got all of our things together. We're going to go up there for this and... I remember I put up my clothes um, and I put them in a specific spot so that I would not forget them for this trip. And I forgot them for this trip. And, and we're down the road and we're over an hour down the road. And I remember, oh no, I have no clothes for the funeral. I go, you know, if once we turn around and we go home and I get them, I know exactly where they are. And we go back, that's like two and a half hours. That's like, that's like 150 minutes. And can I replace those clothes for less than $150? Well, of course. So, so we don't turn around for that. What lengths are you willing to go to? Because Jesus gives this teaching here and he says, you, you have come to the altar and you realize that someone has something against you, which is different than you have something against someone else, by the way. Because I think often we think about that, right? I need forgiveness. They Need to, I need to forgive them because they, they wronged me. But in this teaching, he says, you realize that someone has something against you. It's dawned on you that you have wronged someone. That when you reflect on your relationship, you're not as close as you once were. You've wronged someone. You have, they have something against you. And he says, leave that and go and make amends. And this is an important moment, what you're doing. You're at the altar this is an important ritual. So I want you to imagine for a minute with me that you are one of Jesus' first listeners to this teaching. And there he is. He's giving this teaching. They're good Jewish people. The law was their ultimate authority. He's already said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. 
Now he's giving an example. They go to the altar. They make a sacrifice. And he's saying, you know, if you're there and you realize someone has something against you, you leave it there. Let me ask you a question. Where is the altar? Where's the altar? Well, the altar is in Jerusalem. It's on the Temple Mount. And you would go there and you would make sacrifices. You would turn over your sacrifice to, to the priests and they would make a sacrifice for you. If you are there in Jerusalem... Where's he giving the teaching, by the way? Well, he's in Galilee. He's a, he's a couple days travel away from Jerusalem. So imagine you're hearing this. You're on the hillside in Galilee. And Jesus is saying, when you're there and you realize someone has something against you, leave it there. Leave it there and go make it right. Now, this could be that they, they, they're in Jerusalem with you. It could be that they're way back in Galilee. But imagine what Jesus is saying here. It may be worth a multiple day trip for you to make it right rather than offering the sacrifice, which they thought was the, the pinnacle of their worship. Let me give you a modern day example. It'd be like just a minute ago, Paul was leading us in our communion. And we often say that's the most important time of our week, and it is that important. I, for one, have never, to my knowledge, witnessed someone about to partake and stop and get up to go make something right. I have never seen someone say, someone has something against me, and I cannot take this until I make it right. Because, see, we have these important moments in our worship, whether it's communion, or maybe the sermon time, or the worship, and Jesus, Jesus is saying, do you know how important this is to be reconciled? The thing that you think is the most important, it's not as important as that. He's saying, you stop that worship, and you go make it right. That's how important this teaching is to Jesus. It's more important than the sacredness of being there at the temple and offering a gift. Jesus wants his followers to live a, this radically reconciled life. That if someone has wronged you, if you have wronged someone else, you go make it right. Because life in the kingdom is that important. See, often in their culture, just like ours, they felt justified in their anger. They felt justified in breaking relationship with another because of something that had been done. And he's saying, that's not how it is anymore. Now we will reconcile. We will, we will embrace forgiveness with one another. See, and Jesus, I will say, Jesus is not being naive here. He knows that a utopia is not just going to spring out of nowhere. He knows that this takes time in your life, that you don't, you don't become a forgiving person immediately. He's also not being hyperbolic. I think Jesus means exactly what he says. Now, you may not have a long distance to travel to go offer forgiveness, to go ask for forgiveness, but he does mean that you do it. He means for you to become that kind of person. And you may be asking yourself, how do I even do that? It's very difficult because we know that in our culture, in our society, there are things that are done that we say, you know, forget them. I will not forgive them. Let them walk away, or I'm going to walk away from them. And Jesus is saying, not in this kingdom. We don't do that here. We offer forgiveness to each other. How can I do that? That's, that's, that's kind of contrary to my own nature. I, I don't know how to do that. He says, you have a, the power of the kingdom available to you. you know, we live in this not yet, but already time period. That Jesus has redeemed you. 
You have a place in his kingdom, yet we still live here. He still has not returned. This is the church family, though, is called to look and to feel different. The reason we love coming together every Sunday is that we should have a glimpse of heaven. This is what it should feel like. This is what it should be like. We're not there yet. We're not all the way there yet. But we experience it when we're together. And he says, when you're together, through, the, through my power, you have a gift. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You may go, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to become a forgiving person. He says, you have the power of the kingdom. The kingdom is run on the Holy Spirit. And church, you have that gift. You don't have an excuse. You don't have a way to say, I can't be a forgiving person. You may not need to take a trip to offer forgiveness, but what you should do is hear this teaching and go, how do I creatively apply that teaching? Because Jesus wants you to become a forgiving person. Because, church, you've been offered forgiveness. We come in here and we acknowledge that we are sinners. We also acknowledge that we've been saved by his grace. And his mercy, because he was forgiving first. This is who we are called to be. And so because we've experienced that, because we felt that in our own life, we should have an urgency to our own reconciliation. He says, settle matters quickly. Don't let those things dwell in you. So today I want to be very specific for Crosspoint for a minute. I want us to be real with each other for just a second. I'm going to tell you two truths and a lie, okay? The first truth is this. If you make it a habit to be part of this church family, if you uh, attend on Sunday mornings, you join a small group, you get to really know us here. The first truth is this, is that somewhere along the way, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you will hurt somebody else. As a flawed human being, as a sinner, that when you live life in proximity with others, at some point, you're going to hurt somebody else. You are. The second truth is this, if you make it a habit of being here, if you want to be part of this church family and get to know us and be here on Sundays, join a small group, at some point, on purpose or not, someone is going to hurt you. It's just the truth. It's what it means to be, to be a person and to live life together is that someone along the way is going to hurt you. And the lie is this. The lie would say our, our culture, our society... Satan would tell us this, that there's nothing you can do about it. That when that happens, you, you turn away from them. You go find a new friend. That when that church hurts you, you, you turn away from them. You go find a new church. That you just keep moving on. What Jesus offers instead is a different way. And Jesus says, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that you should be able to lay aside even your offering, your sacrifice, and go make it right. There are people in this room right now, we're a big enough church. Many of us have been here long enough that I know that there, are, there is forgiveness that needs to happen in this room. There is probably someone in every one of our lives that you need to go and make something right. That's what it means to be a person. What Jesus is not saying is never become angry or never hurt someone. He's saying that when you do, what will you do with it? Because the truth is that you are going to hurt other people the question for the disciple, for the follower of Jesus, is what will you do when that happens? Will you keep it to yourself? Will you squash it and act like it didn't happen? Will you just kind of start to turn towards other people? Or will you go and do the, in some cases, more difficult thing? Embrace reconciliation. 
offer forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. These things are difficult, but what Jesus is laying out for us is that if you're going to be his disciple, if you are going to be one of his people in his kingdom, that you can't hold on to anger. You have to go and find forgiveness. When you have done something to someone else, you need to go and right that wrong. Uh, In the late 1900s, so not that long ago, Nelson Mandela in South Africa was imprisoned for 27 years. He was standing up for, in his country, for a better way, protesting the way that things were, and in doing so, they imprisoned him for 27 years. Now, in the 90s, he was, left, he was finally freed, and he eventually became the president of South Africa. But he wrote that on leaving the prison, said, I realized that I had to leave behind all of my anger, my bitterness, and my resentment. And I needed to offer forgiveness to find reconciliation. Because if I can't do that, then I'm going to just be locked away in that prison forever. As we close today, our shepherds and their wives are going to be around the room. And I want you to see who they are. Because for many of you today, that needs to be your starting point. That you need to go and you need to go seek out prayers. Because somebody in here needs to offer forgiveness. Somebody in this room today has hurt someone and needs to go make amends. To find that reconciliation. See, one of the things that we are about here is we are about forgiveness. We are about the freedom that forgiveness brings us. I mean, if you haven't embraced Jesus, if you haven't embraced the forgiveness that he's offering you, and we would love to help you do that today in baptism, that you can experience the freedom that he has for you. But my fear is that today is that there's many of you in here that are imprisoned because you won't offer the forgiveness to somebody else. And so today is a call for freedom, that you would forgive another, that you would go make it right when you've wronged someone, and you would find that freedom that only reconciliation between brothers and sisters can bring you. Holding on to that anger, you might as well stay in that prison forever. The call of Jesus is to let it go. It was this important to him that he said, this is the first thing I want to tell you. You've heard it said, but I say to you, you go make it right. So much so that in the very next chapter, when he teaches his followers to pray, forgiveness plays a huge role in that. People who are good at forgiving get that way because they realize how much they've been forgiven. So Jesus taught us to pray. And in it, he says, remember how you've been forgiven. So today, I want to pray Jesus' prayer together as we close. And then after that, many of you might need to go and make time this very day to go offer forgiveness to someone else, to ask for forgiveness from somebody else, and to find that reconciliation. So as we close, would you please stand and pray this prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.